Word of God. John chapter 6, we're going to be in this morning. If you want the outline notes, there are some available in the front, or you can take your own, that's, that's fine. But we're going to look here at how Jesus describes himself as the bread of life. I am the bread of life. Now, if you have your Bible open there, or, or if you've got your, your tablet or your phone, um, interestingly enough, you know, we've got Bibles now in books where we turn pages, and that's new and modern. Now we've got phones and things we can scroll through, which actually is taking us back to how it originally began. Right? How, did they, uh, how did Jesus read the, the Old Testament? He scrolled through it. So if you've got your device, you're doing just like Jesus did by scrolling through the Bible. Uh, so I don't mind if you have electronic or, or print, it doesn't matter, but John chapter 6. And if you look at John chapter 6 here, and if you just glance over it, and you see, well, John chapter 6 has uh, how many verses? It's got 77 verses, 71 verses in it. In my Bible, John chapter 6 takes up about three pages worth. Um, it may take up more or less in your Bible, depending on how big the writing is in your, your Bible, but it runs over about three pages in my Bible. Now, in John chapter 6, there are two miracles, and we've seen those two miracles. And if you're looking at your copy of the Bible there and looking at it, you'll see that those two miracles, in my Bible, which takes up three pages, those two miracles only take up one page. So we've got two miracles, which take up one-third of this chapter. The rest is what Jesus says about those miracles. The miracles... John records through, through many for us here for a reason. And even though he records these seven miracles, when he does record them, he seems to rush through them. Consider the feeding of the 5,000. When John describes for us the feeding of the 5,000, his whole description of the miracle is Jesus took the loaves, blessed them, and distributed them. That's his whole description of how Jesus did the miracle of the loaves. When he describes Jesus walking on the water, it's Jesus, uh, they saw Jesus come out to them on the water. And that's the whole description of the miracles that he gives there. The other details we find from the other gospel writers. But John records these. It's almost as if they are uh, like, a, like a PowerPoint of what he's doing. They're just simply an illustration. He says, here is something that illustrates the bigger point. Uh, and so what he does is John takes these two miracles and he puts them here, one public, one private, and then he takes a significantly more amount of time to write for us what Jesus said these miracles mean. What is the point of the miracles? We're starting on Wednesday a, a series called, which I've, I've called God Speaks because God does speak to us and God speaks to us and God works throughout uh, the world in many ways. God speaks through nature. He uh, speaks through, through conscience and through providence and, and he works through miracles and, and providence and, and there's many ways in which God works and God communicates himself in this world. But many of those other ways that God communicates himself, so through miracles and through nature and things like that, these are these are easily misunderstood. It's, it's easy to look at the miracles that Jesus wrote in there and, and, and that are recorded in the era of Jesus and easily misunderstand what they mean. Or, as we know, it's easy to look at the way God communicated himself through creation and misunderstand what God is saying, or even completely miss God altogether. 
So there needs to be a way where if God is going to communicate himself, that not only does he communicate himself, but he communicates to us in a way where we can clearly understand what he meant. So the miracles are not meant to communicate to us absolute truth, but simply to illustrate to us truth, which is why Jesus so often explains to us why he did the miracles. So the vast part of John chapter 6 is Jesus telling us what the loaves and fishes is all about and what the, the walking on water was all about. That's why in our worship service we read and we sing and we preach God's word because that's how we understand who God is and what he's trying to communicate to us by reading his word. You don't just need to know that God works, but you need to understand why God works and understand it properly. And Jesus is the beating heart of that. And his word tells us why. So, after two great miracles, one of them public, being the feeding of the 5,000, and one of them private, him walking on the water, Jesus explains to us that we don't primarily need what he can do, we primarily need him. And that's what he's about to explain us. So we're going to take two weeks here, well, really three, this morning and next week, we're going to look at what Jesus says about these miracles, about him being the bread of life. And the third week, the end of chapter six, is the results of that. What happens after Jesus explains these things? So let's begin reading here this morning in John chapter six, and verse 22, we're going to read through verse 40 this morning. So it says here, John chapter 6, beginning in verse 22. The day following, when the people which stood on the other side of the sea saw that there was none other boat there, save the one wherein his disciples were entered, and that Jesus went not with his disciples into the boat, but that his disciples were gone away alone, Howbeit there came other boats from Tiberias, nigh unto the place where they did eat bread. After that the Lord had given thanks. When the people therefore saw that Jesus was not there, neither his disciples, they also took shipping and came to Capernaum, seeking for Jesus. And when they had found him on the other side of the sea, they said unto him, Rabbi, when camest thou hither? Jesus answered them and said, Verily, verily, I say unto you, you seek me not because you saw, you seek me, not because you saw the miracles, but because you did eat of the loaves and were filled. Labor not for the meat which perisheth, but for that meat which endureth unto everlasting life, which the Son of Man shall give unto you. For him hath God the Father sealed. Then said they unto him, What shall we do that we might work the works of God? Jesus answered and said unto them, this is the work of God, that ye believe on him whom hath, he hath sent. They said therefore unto him, What signs showest thou then that we may see and believe thee? What dost thou work? Our fathers did eat manna in the desert, as it is written. He gave them bread from heaven to eat. Then Jesus said unto, the him, unto them, Verily, verily, I say unto you, Moses gave you not that bread from heaven, but my father giveth you the true bread from heaven. The bread of God is he which cometh down from heaven and giveth life unto the world. Then said they unto him, Lord, evermore, give us this bread. And Jesus said unto them, 
I am the bread of life. He that cometh to me shall never hunger, and he that believeth on me shall never thirst. But I said unto you, that ye also have seen me and believe not. All that the Father hath given me shall come to me, and him that cometh to me I will in no wise cast out. For I came down from heaven, not to do mine own will, but the will of him that sent me. And this is the Father's will which hath sent me, that of all which he hath given me, I should lose nothing, but should raise it up again at the last day. And this is the will of him that sent me, that every one which seeth the Son and believeth on him may have everlasting life, and I will raise him up at the last day. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, indeed, as we come to your word this morning, we come humbly seeking wisdom, instruction, and understanding. May the Spirit have freedom to move within our hearts from your word. May we not quench or block his work among us. In Jesus' name, amen. John chapter 6, I think the last time that I significantly preached through John chapter 6 was about 20 years ago and it was that time when I preached through this and studied through that that it changed my life this is one of those most of us will have a passage a verse something where we can look and go this verse significantly shifted my faith this passage is that for me This passage began a journey which drove me deeper and deeper into the knowledge of God and his his will and his work in salvation. It is a significant passage of scripture for all of us. As we look here and we see what Jesus is saying and what he's trying to expound around this idea that he is the bread of life. As he looks and he shares what this means, the first thing we see is that we are seeking satisfaction. Every one of us, we are seeking satisfaction. Verse 25 tells us as he comes through, they follow him around. Verse 25 says, And when they had found him on the other side of the sea, they said unto him, Rabbi, when camest thou hither? Jesus answered them and said, Verily, verily, I say unto you, you seek me not because you saw the miracles, but because you did eat of the loaves and were filled. Labor not for the meat which perisheth, but for that meat which endureth unto everlasting life, which the Son of Man shall give unto you, for him hath God the Father sealed. These people, as as Jesus has done his miracle the day before, and he's fed the 5,000, they have all then gone and found places to rest or sleep through the night. Of course, that's the night. The disciples have gotten into the boat and have sailed and spent the whole night toiling on the sea, And Jesus has come to them and and rescued them out of that storm and taken them across to the other side of the sea. Well, the next morning, everybody wakes up and they go out again to see Jesus and hear him. And they find, well, he's not here. He's gone. And the the boat that he was in, well, that's not here either. We know he didn't go because Jesus went one way and the disciples went out in the boat. So where is he? And so the, the boats come across from the other side. They're all looking for him. They go, well, he's on the other side. He's gone back. So just like they did the day before when they ran around the lake to meet him at the top, now they're running back toward Capernaum because they want to hear him and see him again. They are seeking Jesus. Modern Christianity has a terrible problem. It's it's a terrible problem. The terrible problem of modern Christianity is, at least one of them, 
is celebrity. We have a celebrity culture within Christianity. The internet, which has many wonderful and great opportunities to it, also means that we can watch and share our favourite preachers anytime we want. We can buy all their books, we can go to their conferences, we can do all the things that, that they give to us and share with us. And we, can, we, we have a, a sense of, of hero worship for many of them, for many people. But even worse than that is the fact that far too many, not just pastors, but far too many Christians are using Christ to seek fame, to seek attention, to draw to themselves notoriety. And it's so easy to do now uh, in, in so many different ways. Now, Jesus, Jesus was famous. He was famous throughout all the land. Everybody knew who Jesus was. Crowds are, are flocking to them. But Jesus is famous for a very different reason than what we have today. Jesus wasn't interested in fame. Jesus was not interested in filling stadiums with people to hear him speak and to see what he could do. In fact, by the time we get to the end of John chapter 6, almost everyone leaves him. And it's him and the 12. He's not looking for notoriety. By the end of his life, when Jesus ascends back into heaven after resurrecting, there is a core group of 11 and just over 120 or just over 100 disciples who are following Jesus by the time he ascends into heaven. And that is exactly what Jesus wanted. He wasn't after a massive crowd to follow him for anything. In fact, he's going to chase them away. And here, these people are seeking Jesus. They followed Jesus around the lake when he left the first time at the beginning of chapter 6. Jesus is gone, and so they chase after him again in verse 24. You know, even in our increasingly secular society, when people are in need or in tragedy, we still turn to God. We still pray for someone. You know, when, when, when someone suffers a tragedy and, and you tell them, I'll pray for you, even now, more often than not, people will thank you for praying for them. Whether they believe it means anything or not, the fact that you're doing something which seems to have a bigger purpose means something to them. Where do the people go when they're in need? God. These people flock to Jesus when they think he has something to offer them. They think he can give them something. Jesus keeps leaving the people behind. They keep chasing him. And Jesus keeps leaving. They keep chasing him and Jesus leaves. And he leaves them behind. And this, this sense of, of needing or seeking satisfaction or seeking what God can give us and God keep disappearing is something that is, is true in, in all. And then we, we have questions like, if, if he really is God, why does he seem so distant? You know, if I've been in, in need and I'm going to God, then why doesn't he answer me? And why doesn't he come to me? The, and, and, but when else have we sought him? We're seeking him because he has something we want. 
Why wouldn't he meet my need, we say in our times of trouble? Well, Jesus explains to us why. And the reason why here is we're not just seeking Jesus. We're seeking Jesus for shallow things. We're seeking Jesus for shallow things. Verse 25, which we read just a moment ago, the people ask Jesus a question. Where did you go? How did you get to this side of the lake again? And what is interesting here, as the people ask Jesus the question is, Jesus does not answer that question. He doesn't answer their question here. He doesn't say how he got there, but rather he tells them why they followed him. They say, how did you get here? Jesus says, that doesn't matter, but I know why you're here. And he's going to tell us why we seek him, because Jesus knows their motives. They weren't truly seeking Jesus. They were seeking what Jesus could give them. That's what they were after. Jesus knows their motives. Seeking what they could get from Jesus. What do you want from Jesus? What brings you here this morning? Do you want what he can give you? Or do you want Jesus? And that is the point he is pushing through here and he's explaining. He says, you didn't follow me because you want me. You followed me because you want more bread. And that's why you're here. They asked the wrong question because they're seeking Jesus for their own pleasure. We seek Jesus too often for our own pleasure. Your advertisers are constantly telling us how a product will make our life better. And tragically, much of Christianity has taken that philosophy to talk about Jesus. We try and sell Jesus. Have Jesus. He will make your life better. And that's not what we're to do with Jesus. That's why your presentation of the gospel needs to be much more than Jesus loves you and has a wonderful plan for your life. That's a sales pitch to get people to believe Jesus for what he can give them. There's far more to the gospel than that. We want Jesus to make our life better, naturally. Now, please understand, I'm not saying that he won't make your life better, because he does want to make your life better. It's just he's going to make our life better in ways that most of us don't expect, and make our life better in far, far better ways than we anticipate. We praise God for his eternal salvation. But how do we spend most of our prayer time? Asking for temporal stuff. Asking for things for the moment. Now in Matthew chapter 6, when Jesus is talking to us about, about prayer, he says some of these things and, and he tells us, yes, pray for what we, we need now. But it seems odd that we spend most of our time in our prayer life as believers praying for things that Jesus has already said he will give. So the end of Matthew chapter 6, Jesus says, Do you, don't, don't worry about what you'll eat or what you'll wear or where you're going to live. All these things I've taken care of. Do I not take care of the birds of the air and the flowers of the field? And I love you so much more, so I'm going to take care of you. And it's the stuff that Jesus says, don't worry about. I'll take care of all that, that we spend most of our time praying about. When Jesus has already said, 
I got that. There's something more important you need to pray about. We like that Jesus meets all of our needs, and that's the Jesus that we really want. The Jesus that says sacrifice, well, we like him less. But that's the Jesus of the Bible. Now, I don't know why you came today, but Jesus does. I can't prepare a sermon and go, okay, I know who's going to be there and I know exactly what they need. I have no idea. But Jesus does. They are on a quest, as so many people in this world are, for satisfaction. In the end, all of this really comes down to that one universal need. We are all looking to be satisfied. We spend our life in pursuit of satisfaction, but it eludes so many. Why does it elude us? Why does satisfaction elude us so easily? We seem to have it, and then it slips through our fingers. Because our quest focuses too much on the temporal. Things that just disappear. So Jesus is telling us, seek Jesus for significant things. Not just the temporal things. Jesus is interested in the eternal. Does Jesus care about your temporal needs? Yes, he does. There's no doubt about that. The Bible is very clear about that. He says so in Matthew chapter 6, and he even tells us to pray about those things. Give us this day our daily bread, an expression of trust in what he has promised us to do. So he's told us to pray about, about things that are temporal. So it's not that we don't pray. We need to put them in the right perspective. But what Jesus is also concerned about is that we spend more time thinking about the temporal things than we do about the eternal things. Jesus also says in Matthew chapter 6, don't lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust corrupt and where thieves break through and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor dust corrupt and where neither thieves break through nor steal. So, so don't chase after things which, which disappear, which fall apart. Chase after things that will last. Eternity is significant. You know, I remember catching myself one time uh, when, I, when I first started working as manager of the music store and there was a lot of pressure to make sales. And, and I remember I spent uh, so much of my prayer time asking God to help me make sales. And I realized one time that I was spending far more time praying about my work than I was praying about anything else. And I had to shift my focus because I was focusing on the wrong things. We live in a society which talks so much and has a, a big theme at the moment about a work-life balance. So much seems out of reach for young people that it's just not worth taking the time to reach for it. You know, young people think, well, I'm never going to own a home, so why spend my whole life pursuing and building a, a job and a career to try and own a home? Because it just keeps running from me. So philosophies have changed. So we pursue other things. I'm going to travel more. I'm going to do other things. I'm going to spend more time in hobbies or friends or social life, leisure. And what we have done is simply replace 
one empty pursuit of satisfaction with another empty pursuit of satisfaction. Different generations pursuing different things with the same end. Still unsatisfied. Because satisfaction comes only from God. True satisfaction, true eternal satisfaction can only come from Jesus. He is satisfying in this life and he is satisfying in the life to come. In our seeking satisfaction, in one form or another, so many of us are also seeking God's approval. Thinking that if he will approve me, we will, we will be fine. And so verse 28 continues the, the story and the, the interaction here. And it says, then they said uh, unto him, what shall we do that we might work the works of God? Jesus answered and said unto them, this is the work of God that you believe on him who hath, uh, he hath sent. We are seeking God's approval in working for his approval. Everyone has a sense of need to please God. We express it in different ways. Believers and unbelievers alike have this, this idea, and, and unbelievers express it in a different way. Sometimes they don't call it God. It may be uh, a thousand different deities or a thousand different uh, understandings of what the eternal or the divine is. But every one of us have some sense in which we're trying to please someone or something greater than us. As if, if I don't make the gods angry then it will be okay. Or if I can please the gods enough, I will be all right. Why? Because if we can please this deity, if we can please this God, if we can please our God, then he'll give us what we want. That's why we do it. We do it because of what we will get out of it. So we work for God's approval. Their question here, what shall we do that we can work the works of God, implies two important things. It implies a desire. There is a desire to please God. But it also implies something else here. Not only is it a desire to please God, but it also implies that they have a sense of self-sufficiency. What can we do that we can work the works of God? That is, that there is something that I can do that God will be pleased with. I can do it. Like most of us, we think we can win God's approval. And when we think about winning God's approval, we mostly think of what I can do. What can I do? There is simply a single work. There is only one thing that is required. Only one thing that can bring the approval of God. Jesus says just one thing necessary to please God, and that one thing that is necessary to please God is believe in Jesus. That's the only thing that can bring satisfaction. That's the only thing that can bring the approval of God, is to believe Jesus. You don't need to work for it. You need to believe Jesus. Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 6 says, but without faith, trust, belief. It is impossible to please him. So I'm seeking the approval of God. 
How am I going to get God's approval? Belief. But without faith, it is impossible to please him. For he that cometh to God must believe that he is. And what is the result of that? And he is the rewarder of them that seek him. Acts chapter 16, verse 31 says, they said, and that is Paul and his company to the Philippian jailer and his family, after asking, how can we be saved? They respond, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. Believe. But in all of this, in our seeking of Jesus, in our seeking for approval, we see in this, this passage as it continues along, the continuing nature of man is that even here we seek a sign. We're seeking a sign. So verse 30 continues. Jesus said, so, he said, so what do we do that we can work the works of God? And Jesus says, believe on the one that God has sent. And then verse 30, so they, he said, what do you do? Believe. Verse 30, then they said therefore unto him, what sign showest thou then that we may see and believe thee? What dost thou work? Our fathers did eat manna in the desert as it is written. He gave them bread from heaven to eat. Then Jesus said unto them, verily, verily, I say unto you, Moses gave you not that bread from heaven, but my father giveth you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he which cometh down from heaven and giveth life unto the world. So what do they do? Jesus says, you want to know how to do the works of God? Believe me. And their answer is, give us a sign. This is a sign of shallowness. Now you'll remember, just the day before, they were prepared to make him king. In fact, it says they were prepared to take him by force and make him king. So they were prepared to make him king because they had just been fed by him. They'd given him food. He'd done something wonderful and given him food. So they were prepared to make him food. Why? They were prepared to make him king because of what he could do for them now. What he could do for them at that moment. They were short-sighted. Sadly, they are frustratingly like us. We want more proof. God works. God reveals himself. God gives us his word so we know. And we keep saying, show me, God. Give me a sign. I want more. They were prepared to make him king, but they were not prepared to worship him as king. They wanted him to be king because he could give them what they wanted. But they didn't want to submit to him as king and worship him as king. They, would, they wanted a Messiah that would provide, not a Messiah to worship. They wanted a Messiah that would serve their desires. That would meet their needs and make them feel satisfied and happy and joyful in their pursuits. They are telling Jesus here, you prove to us that you're worthy to serve. He's fed them. 
He spent all of these years telling them who he is and showing them who he is. He's given them sign after sign after sign after sign, and he's showed them and he's taught them who he is. And here, yet again, they say, what do we need to do to please God? Believe. And they say, well, give us another sign to prove you're worthy of believing. Unbelief is never satisfied. We always want another proof. That's why, miracle, that's why John doesn't use miracles to prove who Jesus is. John uses the miracles to point us to what Jesus said about himself so that his word can prove who Jesus is. There's never enough proof. There's never enough miracles. There's never enough, enough tricks that God could do that would make us believe. Jesus says an unbelieving and, and, and sinful generation seeks a sign. So what was their criteria for judging his worthiness? So they say, show us a sign so that we can know you're worthy of worshipping. What was their criteria of believing whether he was worshipping? Was it the Old Testament prophecies? No. No, they weren't saying, all right, you show us a sign that matches up with the Old Testament prophecies of the Messiah and we will believe. He's done that already and it wasn't enough. So what was their criteria to judge his worthiness? Their criteria to judge his worthiness was his ability to satisfy their desires. If he will make me feel good about myself, I'll serve him. That was their criteria. Prove yourself, they say. They wanted another miracle. So they say Moses gave us manna, gave our, our, our forefathers manna for 40 years in the desert. Basically, what they're saying is, you fed us yesterday. Moses fed Israel for 40 years. So just keep feeding us. Keep making that bread, Jesus, and we'll be happy. Then we don't have to go out and do it. It's all good for us. Make my life easier. How many miracles is enough for a person to believe? Never enough. Mark 15, let Christ, the King of Israel, descend now from the cross, they say, that we may see and believe. Even after all, of his, all he'd done throughout his whole life, all he had taught the people, when he is on the cross dying for them, they're still asking for a sign. You did all these miracles. You showed us all of these things. You told us to believe you. And now you're on the cross, so show us one more sign and come off the cross. There's never enough signs. There's never enough. Luke 16, and he said unto him, If they hear not Moses and the prophets, neither will they be persuaded, though one rose from the dead. They didn't even believe when he rose from the dead. Jesus says he gives supply from heaven. Stop looking at the physical. And like I've said, I don't mean that the physical is irrelevant. But it shouldn't be our focus. Because God has supplied for the spiritual. God is supplying for our greatest need. He's supplying what will satisfy us in the temporal and in the eternal. If I seek a Jesus, if I seek a Savior, if I seek a God who will give me what I want now, I will have only what I get now. 
But if I seek a God who can give me what I need in eternity, I will have what I need in eternity and what I need now. They had a misunderstanding of the manna. Jesus says, no, you misunderstand. Moses didn't give you that manna. My father gave you that manna. Moses just relayed the information. He passed it on. The manna wasn't the true bread from heaven. Manna only gave physical life, but Jesus gives spiritual life. True bread was for the world and not just for Israel. And so, as he continues this and shows us that they're seeking a sign, he points them to understand that he, and he alone, is the one that satisfies our greatest need. Then they said unto him, Lord, evermore give us this bread. Still not seen, still looking for a sign, still looking for satisfaction of their own desires. And Jesus said unto them, I am the bread of life. That phrase, I am, we'll talk about more as we come through more of these in the weeks ahead. I am the bread of life. He that cometh to me shall never hunger, and he that believeth on me shall never thirst. He is the superior supply. He gives us more than just what we want. See, they still don't get it. They want the heavenly bread forever. But Jesus is superior to all of them. Jesus is better than anything they could ask for. Better than anything they could imagine. They could not imagine a miracle, a work, or anything that that could be greater than what God could actually give. Jesus is superior to all others. Hebrews tells us, For this man was counted worthy of more glory than Moses. Moses could provide manna in the wilderness for 40 years, but that's not even close to who Jesus is, inasmuch as he who hath builded the house hath more honor than the house. How did Moses give bread? God gave the bread. How do we find satisfaction of soul? God gives satisfaction of soul. He satisfies our soul. He satisfies our deepest longings. He fulfills our our deepest needs. In him and him only we find satisfaction. Because he is the superior supply that supplies eternal life. Verse 35, and he said to them, I am the bread of life. He that cometh to me shall never hunger. He that believeth on me shall never thirst. Come and believe. That is how we find satisfaction. Come to Jesus. That means turn away from our own way and turn to his way. Believe him. John is reinforcing the message he has given us all along. It's the same message that Jesus spoke to Nicodemus. It's the same message that Jesus spoke to the woman at the well in Samaria. Believe me. Greatest needs will be satisfied. We will never hunger. We will never thirst. Jesus is taking a physical response and relaying a spiritual truth. In him, you will never not be satisfied. 
He satisfies completely. Why do I need Jesus? I need Jesus because I was created to know him and worship him. So without him, I will never find what I'm missing. I need him. He created me, and he created me to know him and worship him. I need him because by my own sin, I have been separated from him. Lost from him. That's why I'm seeking satisfaction. Because the very source of satisfaction that I was created to have is missing from my life. So I'm looking for satisfaction somewhere and he is the only one that can meet that need. Sin robbed me of what satisfies me and nothing else will substitute it. Nothing else. That is why Jesus came. He came to deal with my sin so that I could be whole again. Don't follow Jesus because of what you can get from him now. Follow Jesus because you recognize you need him, not just what he gives. And in following him and in finding satisfaction in him, Jesus makes a promise. In fact, this promise comes through several times through John chapter 6. He supplies security. Verse 35 He that cometh to me shall never hunger, and he that believeth on me shall never thirst. And then again in verse 39, and this is the the Father's will which hath sent me, that of all which he hath given me, I should lose nothing, but raise it up at the last day. In verse 40, he repeats that same thing, which gets repeated again, as we'll see next week. And this is the will of him that sent me, that everyone who seeth the Son and believeth on him may have everlasting life, and I will raise him up at the last day. Security. Jesus came to do the will of the Father. Salvation from sin is a work of Almighty God. The Father decreed it, the Son accomplished it, and the Spirit applies it. So what is the decreed will of the Father? The salvation of his people. That his people will be saved. Luke 19, verse 10. For the Son of Man is come to seek and to save that which is lost. He came to give you life so that you could know God and you could enjoy him forever and that you could have the certainty of eternal life. Verse 44, which we'll talk about next week, says, No man can come to me except the Father which has sent me draw him and I will raise him up at the last day. The work of God is from beginning to end. Beginning to end, I will raise him up is a promise of security. If you believe Jesus as Savior, he will save you. We sing the song, no guilt in life, no fear in death. That's that's the satisfaction Jesus brings. This is the source of true satisfaction. No longer searching for acceptance. I am accepted. 
I don't need approval of God when I believe Jesus. I'm approved. I'm accepted in the beloved. No more longing for security. No more longing for satisfaction. I have found in Christ all I need. He is my all. And as believers, when we wander through this life and we we lose satisfaction, our loss of satisfaction is no different than when we were before a Christian, and that is we have lost sight of Christ. Christ is all we need. So listen to the words of Jesus. And in listening to the words of Jesus, examine your expectations. Jesus loves He loves you and he cares for you and he will supply all your needs. We love Philippians 4.19, but my God shall supply all your need according to his riches in glory. And how is that so? By Christ Jesus. How does God meet your needs? Jesus. Every single one of them. Jesus. Your greatest need is an eternal one, an eternal need. You need to know Jesus as saviour from sin. In knowing Jesus as saviour from sin, that reaches not just to this world, but to the world to come. So Christian, as one who has come to Jesus, one who has believed him and found acceptance in him. Live your life to his praise, to his glory. You believed Jesus for salvation, so don't keep asking for proof. He's given you the proof. He died for you, and he promised to raise you in the end. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for the opportunity to hear your word. To hear you tell us that you are all we need. Even as believers, we fall into the trap of believing the lies of Satan that we need more. We need to do more. We doubt often, wondering on our acceptance in you, forgetting that in you we have all we need. So help us to live our lives in that security, to persevere in your promise. Lord, for those this morning who may be gathered with us that don't know you as their saviour, who are still searching for satisfaction in so many ways, we pray that today the Spirit would open their eyes to see the truth that they can find satisfaction in you, that they would have their sins forgiven, their slate wiped clean, and find acceptance in your love. May this be a day of changed lives. We thank you, dear God, that you are the bread of life. All we need. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.